This is Michael, you're listening to Models of Masters, and I'm so grateful you're here. I'm breaking down personal stories, learned wisdom, and pieces of insight I hope can help you along your journey. Head over to my website, michaelbecker.org, for much more. And with that, let's get right into the show. I'm here with Brendan from Master Talk. Brendan, how are you doing today? Really good, Michael. How are you? I'm good, man. I'm good. Um, you know, I was thinking about our talk today, and I remember the first time that I was introduced to public speaking it was back in, well, you know what? Uh, I was going to say it was back in high school. It was like sophomore year, I took a public speaking class, but I forgot that when I was 13, I stood before a congregation at my bar mitzvah, which seems like lives ago. Um, and I, I read out of a book in a foreign language with symbols to people, and it took me months to, to learn how to do that. Um, so that was my first, I guess, yeah, my first exposure really to public speaking. You clearly um, didn't have it easy at the beginning. Yeah, I guess not, right? I guess not. Um, how about you? Like, what got you interested in this space? Yeah, so, so two parts to that. The first one is I'm definitely empathetic to that. I didn't have a, a situation where I had to take hidden symbols, but cl- close close to that for sure, Michael, where I studied my whole life in a language I didn't know. So okay. I, I, I grew up in Montreal, which is still where I'm based, and French is, is an important language to learn. So I studied in French my whole life. So every time I presented, I was speaking in a second language. So it was really tough for me. And then how I got interested in communication, because I never thought I'd be doing what I'm doing today. It all started in business school. I did these things called case competitions. Think of it like professional sports, but for nerds. So other guys my age were playing baseball or rugby. I did presentations competitively, and that's what I did for fun. And that's what built up the knowledge base that I'd gained to then start the YouTube channel. Yeah, and so it's called Master Talk. Can you talk about the idea for the genesis of, of this channel? Yeah, for sure, man. So what happened was when I was doing these competitions and I started doing well, I started mentoring other students in the program, mostly for free back then, just to help them because I just thought it would be cool and they'd win competitions. And that's how I learned the art of coaching other people and how to communicate ideas. But the goal was never to be an entrepreneur, Mike. Like for me, the goal was to be a six-figure corporate earner at like IBM or something. So that's what I did. I got a great job out of business school. But I had the idea for Master Talk because I realized everything I was sharing with them wasn't really available online for free. So I just started making videos. I thought it was the stupidest idea in the world while I was working my, my day-to-day corporate job and it just turned into something I never could have imagined. So what has it turned into today? What 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 are some of the, the biggest pieces of, I guess, tangible success that you've had and seen with what you're creating? Yeah, for sure, man. I would say, you know, I've been coaching probably seven years now and the YouTube channel I started. So I started coaching when I was 19 and then I started the YouTube channel probably three and a half years ago. So now, you know, today I'm super grateful. I do this full time now. Master Talk is a big YouTube channel. I think it has like 26,000 subscribers now. I I coach a lot of CEOs and and tech entrepreneurs on how to communicate ideas. So that's how I was able to monetize my expertise, right? Coach a lot of people. And I use that money to make make MasterTalk a a media company. So essentially my end game is I think the next Elon Musk is a seven-year-old girl who can't afford a coach. So I put a lot of my my personal money into, into making my YouTube channel successful so that everyone around the world can access me even if they can't afford me. Yeah, that's that's beautiful. I love that. 
Um, all right, let's let's get into public speaking, man, because uh, I think it's one of the most honestly like under underappreciated and undervalued skill sets by entrepreneurs, uh, content creators, leaders, um, students today, and you know, especially I'm interested in your your take on this shift to not just a digital culture, but this remote culture that we've seen emerge over the last couple of years. Kind of talk about what you're seeing as some of the the key um, key things that stand out to you about that shift and why we need to learn how to communicate online. Absolutely, Michael. So let's start with an energy shift. You know, I think the biggest problem that we have with communication is we see it like a chore. Like, oh my God, I have to present really well for my business and I got to present digitally and that stuff won't get us really far. So instead, how I start the conversation is how would your life change if you were an exceptional communicator? We dream about our vacations, the expensive things we want to buy, the experiences we want to go on. When was the last time we dreamed about a world in which we're a better communicator? And for most of us, Michael, the answer is never. So I would start there because a lot of people think that the biggest challenge around communication is fear. And I would disagree. I think there's a challenge even greater than fear, and it's motivation. Because if we're motivated enough to work on our communication skills, we'll crush the fear any day of the week. So that's why my first call to action for people listening to this, and then we'll jump into the shift, happy to comment on that, is let's shift our energy around communication. Because once we have that why, that North Star for why communication should matter for us, then we can get really excited about mastering it. And the answer to that will obviously be a little bit different for everybody based on what they do, who they serve, what they're seeking to achieve in the world, right? Very, very smart observation. You're absolutely right, Michael. That's the beauty of this question is that for all of us, it's different. For me, it's a very nuanced three minute answer. For other people, it's to be a better mother for their children. For somebody else, it's to be a world class podcast host. And for somebody else, it's to be a professional speaker. We all have different dreams, but the way that this ends, this question helps us is it's simply this. What do we want in life? Who already has what we want in life? Because there's usually somebody who's already achieved what we want. But the third question that nobody bothers asking themselves is the person who has what we want, that whether it's a better job, uh, more money, more time, more impact, how is that person coming off in a podcast? Yeah. How does that person communicate? And am I communicating like that person? And the answer is often no. Right. And so identifying that that differential, identifying that that delta is a good place to start when you think about how do I want to show up? How do I want to uh, appear, you know, in these various forums? Absolutely, Michael, because I, I got a lot of tips that we'll be talking about today. But the most important one is, are you even motivated to do them? Because I think the biggest problem with most of us is we don't understand the most important principle, which is the best way to speak is to speak. So when we go into the principles, people might take notes and say, wow, these principles are so great. But are they actually spending 10 minutes reflecting on the question? That's really the key. Are they actually spending some time going through some of the exercises we'll talk about today? And that's really the key message. Best way to speak is to speak more and reflect on how you show up. Um, that's, that's huge. I do want to get your thoughts on this on this digital economy. Um, but one question that actually just came up as you were were speaking: um, everybody everybody has their own distinct energy, right? And 
um, like the way that I might enunciate and use tonality and use hand gestures and different techniques when connecting. Um, and this probably is a good segue to this online culture anyways, but um, how do you work with different people who just have naturally different personalities and how do you coach them to be the best version of themselves when they when they speak? Absolutely, Michael. And, and you definitely touched upon the answer in your question, which is for me, communication isn't about changing someone's style, but rather amplifying who they already are at a higher level. So for example, there's kind of two categories here to keep it simple. There's objective feedback around communication, and then there's subjective feedback. Let's start with objective, which is, okay, like, are you smiling enough when you're talking to people? Are you saying filler words like ums or ahs? It doesn't really matter what your personality is in that case. Those are just objective things that we can get rid of. Vocal tone projection. Maybe your range might be as high as an extrovert is if you're more introvert for somebody listening to this, but there's still a range. So are we going and changing our tones? So that stuff is objective. But then what becomes subjective is that person's goal. Maybe that person doesn't really want to speak on a stage in front of 30,000 people. It's not their goal. For them, it's like, okay, you know, I want to serve 100, 150 clients, Brendan, and I want to be able to speak to those people, and I want to have this in my business, or I want to have this job. So then it's about changing that style, or rather keeping the same style, but adjusting it to their specific goals. And an example I like to give is in YouTube culture. I mean, there's so many creators out there who are way bigger than me, like by a massive factor. And they're literally opposite personalities to me. They're like Lana Blakely or Roberta Blake. They're super, super introverted, yet they have hundreds of thousands of subscribers. So you're more relatable as well. And then what are your thoughts on on this transition to this remote work and digital communication culture that we've that we've moved into? Yeah, absolutely. So a couple of thoughts on that, Michael. The first one I'll say is let's go through the three key differences between presenting online and offline. So let's jump into that. I would say the first one is eye contact. So eye contact simply means that when you're in an online setting, whether you're speaking to one or 10,000 people, you always want to look at one place, which is the contact lens or rather the camera lens. So you always want to keep your eyes there. Whereas when you're in person, you always need to move your head around based on the audiences you're speaking to. That's one. Number two is energy. At the end of the day, Michael, it's easier to show up with energy when you're in person. Because you can hug people, you can give give them a high five, shake their hand, ask them how their day is, and you feel that accountability, that ownership, that online is just harder. So the only solution that I know of is to get better in person. Bring more energy in person because the in-person is going to be there for the rest of our life and transfer as much of that energy as possible back in the virtual room. So like right now, it took me a long time to show up like this online because it's tough. Like I'm alone in my basement. How do I show up as if so I need to change that and I need to be more energetic and transfer more of that. So that's number two. Number three is accessibility. So accessibility just means this, specifically to your audience. If I want feedback, let's say I'm giving a speech and you're in the crowd, let's say, I could just come up to you. Like there's no friction. Hey, Mike, let's get some uh, lunch and I'd love to get your thoughts. And then you just sit down for 30 minutes and you give me your thoughts. But online, it's a lot more challenging because the Zoom call just ends. The StreamYard link just finishes, etc. So what you need to do online is you need to force those relationships. You need to try and get on calls with them, Zoom calls, and force those interactions so it's easier for you to get the feedback that you need. Beautiful. 
spot. I want to I want to point out one subtlety that that I've noticed, picked up on, um, felt, you know, over the last couple of years here of of working remote myself, and specifically on calls. What I've picked up on is the the context of the communication is is very much limited to what you can see on screen and it's more difficult it seems to sort of go beyond surface level at least in like meetings um with other people where there's multiple people like it's easier to connect now when it's just you and i one-on-one but i think a lot of people that they're struggling to connect right and being in this this type of a context where all you have is a square with somebody's face on it and you can't see them you can't feel them you can't there's no interplay that that comes with being in person have you felt that and do you feel like that's a challenge that we can overcome in time absolutely michael i i definitely think there's a lot of challenges presenting online i mean forget that scenario you brought on let's up the difficulty even more what about yeah. one-way webinars where you're giving a webinar there's literally nobody like no there's there's no square at all yeah. so here's what i'll say this is why i'm a big fan of getting better in person because for me communication is a multiplier effect when you get better in one medium it trickles over into everything else let me give you a simple example let's say i say to somebody you got to smile more when you present and they smile more well, naturally, Michael, they'll smile more when they're having coffee conversations, too. They'll smile more and they talk to their family a bit more. They'll smile more when they're having business meetings. So the way you learn one thing is the way you start doing it everywhere in your life, as long as you're held accountable. So how does that apply? Because obviously the transition to online was super important to me because, you know, a lot of my business went in person to online super quickly. I had to adapt. All my in-person keynotes just all of a sudden either got canceled or went to virtual. So the the, the idea is, well, the, the most important one is you gotta get better at presenting one presentation. Find, especially if you're a business owner, find one presentation that's repeatable. Like think about this podcast. Even if the host changes, the questions that I ask will stay relatively the same. Like no one's gonna ask me, hey, Brendan, what's your favorite fruit? So that's just an example of a repeatable process where you get better over time. And then the final part to that is there's still a way to have, to have an interplay between you and your audience. You just have to be a bit more creative. So I might say something like, okay, everyone, feel free to type in the chat this word if you're ready to go. And then people are, are typing and then I go, Miley said yes, this, this, this. So there's a way to create it. It just, it just requires more energetic investment from you. One thing that I'm that I'm picking up on as as we get deeper into this conversation, actually a couple things that I'm noticing you're doing, and I would love to get your comments on why you're doing these things. You are using some mirroring based on what I'm doing and the way I'm using body language. You're using my name um, almost, you know, every every time it's your turn to speak. Um, you're using eye link or eye eye contact. Um, and then body language as well. And you're using your hands to help express your point. Can you talk about your, I guess your conscious um, transition or intention to integrating these things and how long did that process take? You know, did it feel awkward at the beginning? All those sorts of things. For sure, Michael. So, so here's the principle. Communication is like juggling 18 balls at the same time. 
And if you try and juggle all 18, and we'll talk about the three easiest ones to juggle shortly, yeah. is if you try and juggle all 18, all of them are going to fall to the ground. Okay. So so the answer to your question directly, and then I'll give you a little bit more nuance, is am I actually thinking about all these 18 things? Okay, say his name every 10 seconds. Mm-hmm. Uh, be super conscious about that. Mirror his energy. No, I just do that all subconsciously now. But the way that you do that subconsciously is by mastering them one at a time consciously. So what does that mean? That means if you try and do body language, storytelling, eye contact, smiling, and remove all your ums and ahs, you're going to mess things up. But if you do one thing at a time, over time, you'll be able to juggle all of them. So let's break down some of the ones that you you had brought up. So the first one was around mirroring, correct? Mirroring is actually very hard for people to do. For me, that's more like a ball 16 because you have to energetically adapt to the person that you're speaking to. I'll give a fun example. I get two types of hosts, usually three types, whenever I, I do a podcast. So the first one is usually in the middle. You're a great example of that, where you're kind of in the middle. You're not really extrovert or introvert, you're kind of in the middle. Mm-hmm. And then you have an introvert. Actually, let's go to the extrovert first. Then you have the extrovert who gets on a con goes, Brennan, it's so great to have you. I'm so excited to have you on the show. And that's actually my natural state. So I would go there and be like, yeah, let's do it, dude. I'm super excited. And then the next show is, hi, Brendan, I hope you're doing well. And then I immediately changed my energy. Paul, is this your first podcast? Like, yeah, but I really wanted to interview. So that the energy changes, but it's our responsibility as master communicators or those who have that desire to shift our energy to that person. And some people might think that's manipulative. I disagree. I think it's more about having the empathy for your fellow human beings to make them comfortable in the space you're creating for them. Right. Yeah. And and also more, I, the way I think about it is seeing an opportunity to forge perhaps a more genuine, more authentic, more intimate connection with that person, especially online and leveraging techniques and learned skills that you acquired to do that. So. Absolutely. And then the other piece around the name is uh, Dale Carnegie says it best. He says, the sweetest sound that any human being can hear is the sound of their own voice. So that's why, and it works. People people love it because it makes them feel heard, seen, understood. It's also easier for you to remember their name. Obviously, it's easier for me because it just says your name on the online. In person, it's it's hard. It's more challenging, and it gets people's attention. So if somebody starts deviating away their focus, if you just say their name, they immediately realign back to you. Yeah, I love that. That's a great little tidbit. Um, I. One problem that I used to struggle with a lot with public speaking and still even going live on Instagram or recording reels or whatever the case is, is I tend to get in my head a lot. And I think a lot of people can relate to this, you know, anxiety comes up and, you know, you feel this need to create the perfect video or to get it just right. And you end up sitting there for, you know, an hour for what is a 60 second clip. what can people do to sort of work through or heal this anxiety that tends to come up in these types of, of situations? Excellent question, Michael. Here, here's what I would say. I would say step one actually isn't even posting a reel or, or doing a TikTok or doing something like that. I would say step one is to unlearn what we think communication is for. What is communication for? A lot of us think of communication like a chore. So whenever they go in front and do a reel, they're like, shit, like I need to do this for my business. It's got to be perfect versus seeing it as a tool to impact people, even if it's not perfect. So I'll give you an example. Let's start with the first piece. 
which is make a list of five people that you love the most in your life or five people that are the most open-minded in life people who are amazing people that already pour into you so these are not strangers and ask yourself a simple question when was the last time when was the last time we sent those people not a 20 minute not a 20 hour but a 20 second video message just to say how much you appreciate having them in your life and for most of us the answer is zero but you know what's great about the strategy michael is even if people feel uncomfortable doing it when they wake up the next morning having sent them they'll be shocked at the responses they get where people say wow i never thought this would this amazing video message this really means a lot to me and this helps us relearn what communication is for and also i think a point you alluded to there is this idea of repetition. Like if you get enough reps under your belt, <clears throat> you're going to become better. There's no other option. You know, the first time I sat down to do a podcast interview, I was nervous as hell. I didn't know what I was doing. Like as much as I prepared, I was still in my head and those things still pop up. And maybe you feel the same with creating, you know, YouTube videos, it, but it, the more you do something, the more it just becomes a natural extension of who you are is what I found. And I think communication is is a, a key example of that. I completely agree. I definitely feel that repetition is is the king. But the point I want to drive as well is that the fear will always be there. I mean, even for me, the communication expert today is speaking to you in the audience. If somebody called me, let's say we're at me and you're having lunch and Elon Musk calls me. And he goes, hey, Brendan, really like your YouTube videos. Can you coach me tomorrow? I'll pay you a million bucks. Would I shit my pants? Absolutely. Yeah, of course I would. Would I be able to coach him? For sure. But I'd be nervous. There's always a level where we're all fearful. Even when I posted my first video just to paint the picture for people, I was a 22-year-old kid. I had a bachelor's degree in accounting. I have a crooked left arm. English is barely my first language. I'd say second, technically. Why did, and my average client is 20 years older than me. Who in the world was I to make videos on communication and public speaking? So it's not about trying to remove all of our anxiety. That's a bad expectation to have, but rather seeing it as a relationship between our fear and our message. The goal is never to kill the fear, but rather make sure that your message is always a, just a little bit more important than the fear it's associated with. Which brings us to the million dollar question, why did I press record? I didn't press record for executives, Michael. I pressed record for the 15 year old girl who can't afford a communication coach. What alternative does she have? Or else she's gonna just listen to what, six year old white dudes? Like that's not gonna make any sense. So that pushed me. And that's the question I have for everyone who suffers from your inability to take action every day. Yeah, and you know, who relies on you to show up and 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 to serve them and you know, it's it's much easier to get out of your head and out of your ego when when speaking, when communicating your message, when you take the focus from self or from what others are thinking about what you're saying and you put it on the 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 core of why you're showing up there which is to communicate something to convey a message and to change somebody's perspective or their life even so that's Absolutely. um what about introverts right because i've always thought of myself naturally as more of an introvert than an extrovert um i think that's probably where a lot of my anxiety stemmed from especially when i was younger but what are some tips um, for people that feel like they're more introverted and they just don't like speaking they just don't like it for sure michael so 
what I'll say to that is what a lot of introverts don't get, because I, I, most of my clients are introverts, is that they don't realize how much better they are at communication than extroverts are. And trust me, take my word for it being an extrovert. So there's three strengths that introverts have that they actually aren't aware of. So let's go through them. Number one, listening. Introverts are exceptional listeners. And the reason is simple, they speak less on average, so they'll naturally spend more time listening to the people or the person in front of them. Whereas somebody like me, I'm a hardcore extrovert. I, I call myself an extra extrovert. So I'm always talking all the time. So when I'm always talking, like I'm doing right now, it's hard for me to adapt my message to the person that I'm actually speaking to or that I want to serve. So that's number one. Number two is pausing. The, pausing is the most important skill in communication, Michael. And introverts, right? And introverts master this easily. Why? Because they're already comfortable with silence. Because they speak less on average. So whenever I tell an introvert to pause or I force them to do it in a presentation, they'll implement it in five minutes because they're super comfortable with it. Not an extrovert. Because if me and you are at a party and there's a space, I'll immediately fill it up and go, so what's your favorite color? Like I'm always trying to fill up the space. Whereas an introvert will, will be able to live in that pause. That's number two. And then finally, number three, which is something not people are aware of, introverts are actually more accessible as communicators than extroverts. I'll use Gary Vaynerchuk as an example because I love the guy. Gary is the type of person, the CEO of VaynerMedia is a massive social brand, a social media brand, I mean. You either like the guy or you don't. There's no in between with this man. You either go, I really love him, like I do. I'm a big fan of his work. Or you say, I can't stand this guy. Get him away from me. So when you're an extroverted speaker, you'll alienate a large percentage of the human population. But that doesn't apply for Brene Brown. Nobody says, I hate Brene Brown. If you say that, you'll go to jail. Like the FBI will literally call the, come after you. And that's the point I want to drive. Obviously, I love Brene. But the point I want to drive is that they're more accessible on average. And that's the key. Understand your strengths and triple down on them. Yeah. So, okay. So one thing that I've been kind of thinking about as you've so eloquently shared all of this great info today is there's a, an unspoken responsibility, I think, for people that are serving in a public capacity, public speaking, you know, um, owners of a large tribe and even a presenter at a conference. Like if you have an audience and you have a message, then there's a responsibility there to serve that to serve that audience with you know with truth and with authenticity um what are your thoughts brendan on uh serving and and showing up as with as much authenticity as possible to really you know make your audience feel loved mm. Interesting question, Michael. Here, here's what I would say. It's a quote by Ali Gadet, and he says that if you help one person, the world will give you permission to help everyone else. I think what's missing in the conversation of serving people is we focus on follower count and we don't focus enough on conversations like the one we're having right now. Right. And that's how you build a real community. You know, I told myself a long time ago when I started Master Talk, I said, you know what? If the algorithm doesn't help me, and I, at least if I guest on 10,000 podcasts and Michael's the only person listening to me, at least I would have a new friend. <laughs> at least I would have 10,000 new friends. 
and and they would help me kind of scale out master and that's always been my, luckily for me it didn't take 10,000 podcasts thank god or else I would have probably died on the along the way to get there but I think the point I want to drive Mike is don't think about these big numbers you're much better off having a hundred people absolutely love you to death versus 10,000 people who sort of kind of like you and sort of seen you on TikTok once in a while. So focus on what Seth Godin calls the smallest viable audience. Ask yourself, who are the seven people, the 15 people that will love what you do and start the conversation with them and build with them, get their input, get dinner with them. I mean, literally dinner, not like Zoom calls. And if you do that and you really care about your audience, trust me, 20 will turn into 40, 40 will turn to 80 and you'll be on your way. And that's why I got my first thousand subscribers on YouTube. It wasn't because of some algorithm. It only took me four months. The reason I did it is because I knew 200 people and they helped me promote the shit out of my channel. That's it. Yeah, likewise, I started uh, Spiritual Awakening uh, Instagram account called New Earth Knowledge a couple years ago. It's grown to 60,000 followers today, but it wouldn't have gotten there had I not focused on forging actual human relationships with those first thousand and resharing their stuff and responding to their stories and thanking each and every follower or commenter, you know, and truly letting them know how much their time and their attention means to you. Um, and I think that's an overlooked aspect of service and audience building and communicating, right? It's just making people feel and know that you truly appreciate them. That's, Absolutely. Yeah, man, for sure. So what is, I'm curious, you know, you're, you're obviously a very refined and polished speaker and presenter today, right? But I assume it wasn't always that way. What was kind of the biggest challenge that you had to overcome? as you went down that path. Uh, I appreciate you saying that, Michael. I don't even consider myself that great of a speaker. I remember a few years ago when I started guesting on shows, somebody asked me the funniest question. He was like, where does the fear of communication come from? And I looked at it and said, I don't know, man, Los Angeles, San Diego, you tell me. Like, I had no idea. So yeah, I was, I was just as lost. So I, I've definitely made a ton of mistakes. Like if somebody watched my first YouTube video, which is still up, or some of my first podcast appearances, there were six months I spent without cutting my hair because of COVID. So there's no, there's nobody to cut my hair. So I, I have this like big, people can look this up on the internet, like my older interviews, and I just still did it. So, so yeah, I, I think the big thing is mistakes happen. I'm happy to talk about my biggest one. I would say the biggest one was when I started keynoting, it was probably a few years ago, I was asked to give a speech and I had like 25 minutes in front of 400 kids. And I find out 15 minutes before the presentation that I have to give half of it in French. And I was like, what? <laughs> so I literally got up there and I was translating half of my presentation as I was speaking in real time. So yeah, it wasn't super fun. So yeah, you live and you learn. Talk about uh, improvisation on, on the spot. That's like <laughs> the epitome of, of uh, pressure. Nice. Well, I'm actually wondering, so would you be up to do a little bit of, I guess, like live coaching or we could just run through some techniques that you feel like are important for and maybe easy for people to, to kind of uh, start with? Absolutely. Absolutely. And then feel free to follow up on any of this. So so what is kind of the takeaway? If people only had three minutes to listen to this, I'll, I'll give you the, these three tips. I call them my easy threes. So let's go through them. I'm happy to demonstrate them as well. So these are three exercises you can practice every day that are simple, effective, and will help you get results. Start with number one. 
the random word exercise. Pick a random word like tissue box, like paper, like computer screen, and create random presentations out of thin air. Why is this exercise effective? Because if you can make sense out of nonsense, you could make sense out of anything. So this is an exercise I recommend people do three to five times a day, which only takes like five minutes total. And if for those of you who are listening to this who have families, like kids and stuff, I highly recommend doing this with your kids as you're commuting back and forth, let's say picking them up from school. And another way you can practice this, because I'm all about trying to help people find the time to do it. Look, the shower. Everyone's Everyone takes a shower every day, hopefully. I'm, I'm praying. Hopefully everyone's listening. So you got 10 minutes there. So do the random word exercise there. So that's number one. Oh, awesome. you want me to keep yeah yeah i just didn't want to monologue for 10 minutes that's (laughs) why that's number one so number two is the question drill so question drills is we get asked questions all the time in our lives on shows like this like a podcast at work sales prospects so a lot of us michael were reactive to those questions we're not proactive we wait for the question to come we go huh i don't really think about that let me like think about it so we're not super proactive to like i was saying earlier you know a few years ago when i got asked where does the fear of communication come from i was caught off guard i don't think about it so i said something dumb like uh, london or or los angeles but there's a way for us to be proactive all you have to do is every day for five minutes that's all i ask answer one question that you think somebody will ask you about your expertise every single day for five minutes. Where does the fear of communication come from? What are your tips on communication? What's one piece of advice you have for your younger self? One question every day. If you do that for a year, you'll have answered 365 questions about your industry and you will be bulletproof. And that's number two. Yeah. And and then finally, number three, which we talked about, is so simple, nobody does it. Make a list of people that you love and send them a video message. If you're a business owner, I also recommend making a list of your top 25 clients. I honestly would send it to all of them, but I would just send quick video messages when it's their birthday, when it's a holiday, not like a sales thing. It's literally like, hey, what's up? And 10% of those, the time you do that, they'll refer to you clients without you even asking. That's how I built my book. Oh, okay, awesome. Those are, those are incredible tips. All right, so walk me through one easy to uh, implement technique or one thing that you've picked up on with this conversation, an area for me to improve because I think other people will will benefit from from this little mock session as well. Yeah, for sure, man. For sure. I love your openness, by the way, because a lot not a lot of people do this. Yeah, let's keep it simple today, man. I think I think for you the biggest area of improvement is smiling a little bit more in conversations. Yeah. Because even if I know you're a powerful listener, just based on the way you're 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 having this conversation, if you don't smile when you're listening the the impression that somebody who's listening has is that michael doesn't care about me even if that's not the case at all by the way right so so that's something i drill so literally some of the people i work with i literally force them to smile for two weeks until they get it right so that's that would be my advice i feel like people think it looks fake if they're forcing a smile or any other type of facial expression if it's not like authentic but it can be authentic right like it doesn't have to be like it just be Absolutely. And obviously it sucks for people listening to the audio, but I'll give you a quick example right now. So there's a big difference between this and this. Ah, okay. Right? You see that difference? It's like night and day. So if I'm listening to it, I'm like this, versus, which is what I did the entire episode, if you you watch this a little bit, is when you're talking, I just do this. That's it? Wait. So that's all you have to do. You don't have to do this. Right. You just do a little smile. That's it. (laughs) 
Yeah, and if you're listening on the audio, guys, it's literally just a matter of uh, a little bit of a, a different disposition with your lips instead of having them slightly down, like you're frowning. It's more of like a, a smile, a slight smile. That's it. Beautiful, man. So any other, any other, I guess, takeaways or tips or tricks that you want to point out that you think people should be thinking about with this stuff? For sure. I'll, I'll give you two more, but feel free to ask me for others. I would say that the most important one today is going back to the best way to speak is to speak. I'm really referring to these three exercises, Michael, when I say that. So for example, the random word exercise, you could literally do this alone. Even if you're an introvert and you're like the, you know, the most socially awkward person in the world, which isn't the truth, by the way, but based on all the introverts I've spoken to in my life, you can literally just do this on your own. Like five times a day, pick a random word, you're at a beach, beach, just do it. You'll get better. And it takes five minutes. Question drill, you don't even need to speak it. Literally open a Word document, type out your answer, say it to yourself and then go to the next day like that's it and then the third one video messages i mean you can start with your family just start with people who are open-minded people who like just are open to new things and but the reason the problem is not the difficulty of the exercise the problem is people don't implement it and that's why people don't become top communicators in their industry and it's that consistency that makes you really successful that's one piece the other piece i can end on is the question how would your life change if you were an exceptional communicator. A lot of people listening to this might think the question's cute. Oh, that's a cute question. I would encourage you differently. Start to actually reflect on it because that's the foundation for all of this. If you find out why it's important for you, because I have a very strong answer to this question because I've thought about it for seven years. That's why I have that focus. But if you just think about it for 15 minutes, it will be a lot easier for you to show up with energy. Even if you got 10 minutes one day, when you get to your 11th meeting, you'll still show up with the same energy as the first one. Totally. Having studied communication back in college, you know, somebody once told me if you can be a good if you can be a good communicator and communicate then you can do anything else because good communication is the foundation for success and for any type of relationships which are obviously crucial for any field and no matter what you do the ability to communicate is like you need that it's table stakes um and if you're not a good communicator then work on it day by day chip away using some of the tips and techniques that brendan and i have been chatting on today and it's it's a process right it's it's an investment it's a choice to become a better communicator and it's something that we can all work on we can all improve on and that our audiences and our relationships will benefit from so super super important stuff absolutely great conversation so share with people where they can learn more about you and connect with you Absolutely, Michael. Thanks for having me on, by the way. It's super fun. So two ways to keep in touch. The first one is the YouTube channel. Just go to Master Talk in one word, and you'll have access to hundreds of free videos on how to communicate ideas effectively. And the second one, the second way rather, is I do a free workshop over Zoom on communication every few weeks. And this is not some boring webinar. It's live. It's interactive. I coach people on the call, and I also facilitate it as well. So if you want to join that, go to Rockstar communicator.com and i will include these links in the show notes everybody and i will i will likely be attending some of the events that brendan just shared so maybe i'll see you awesome great conversation thank you so much for your time of course brother appreciate it
That is it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. My book, Content Capitalist, is now on sale. You can visit my website, michaelbecker.org, to grab your copy. There's also a link in the description. And if you'd like to learn more about what me and my team at Neocore are building, you can visit our website, neocore.co. You can learn more there and join the waitlist for when we launch later this year.